welcome back for another episode of Meta Memes. We were just saying. Oh, that we're still going. We've had a we've had a sabbatical with the uh, the weather. Um, I'd like to put on record that I think um, the Met Office stated it was the most sunlight hours we've had for a single month ever on record. So it wasn't just I was making it up. Um, so we just tried to have a life, didn't we, for a few weeks and enjoy the sun? We, did. we had a lot of good, positive conversations in person, socially distanced in person, but we just didn't record them all. Yep, sun plus sesh. What more could you want? And the, yeah. the best question that came out of it, which you should always ask yourself, is in what situation would a beer make things worse? We've yet to think of one. Literally none. So that's a question for you to take away. <laughs> after today um so today's topic we are i think at the time of when we discussed it pre good weather it was in kind of peak form as to now where it might have died off a little bit is the my plans versus 2020 split screen meme be it you know of your holiday plans or other examples so i think one's the favorite one we came up with uh, i think you mentioned was the tan lines so a good, nice tan body on one side, and then what's the sweet board on the right? Or they have on the right? Is it a drumstick? Oh, I, yeah, it is a drumstick lolly. Yeah, that's, um, that's the one I've seen. I don't know if you had yours looking slightly different. So the one I saw was uh, a, a beautiful woman with a nice bikini tan line on the left, and on the right it was a startled woman with a a face mask tattoo uh, tan lined on her face. Oh yeah, that's also good. I think another one we liked was the Sydney Opera House on the left, and then a, an array of dishes, appropriately, <laughs> yeah. appropriately stacked on the right, um, which is I think very appropriate for current time. Um, we also liked the Wembley one. Talk us through that one. Yeah, so Wembley Stadium, uh, their official Twitter account, they tweeted, uh, they got on the bandwagon and they tweeted my expectations versus real- versus 2020 reality. And their expectation was obviously a full stadium, a cup final on the left. And then on the right was Wembley Stadium full of a lasagna. Because if you recall uh, a few months ago, uh, I think it was March when everyone was getting hyped about coronavirus and sending around those like um, antagonistic whatsapp messages yeah, yeah. <laughs> voice recording saying my friends brothers aunties cousins daughters friend works in blah blah and then one of the, the most popular ones was um saying he works in the uh, government office and they're gonna cook a lasagna <laughs> in the wembley stadium and it it was uh, made me laugh it was funny and my i think maybe my personal favorite was the biscuit tin on the left that has, a, has an open lid showing a nice array of biscuits and then on the right which I think we can all relate to as children is opening the lid of said biscuit tin to find it's been replaced with your mum's sewing kit. Yeah that's a good one. On a related topic what's your favourite biscuit would you say out of that well, biscuit tin? We've been having a bit of a discussion at work recently that's been triggered by um, a few oh, triggered a few of them a few of my colleagues where they're saying certain chocolate bars or biscuits come under the general term of a house biscuit. So things you'd find in the biscuit tin at your nan's place or your mum has, um, which included but is not exclusive to a two-finger Kit Kat, um, a yeah. cl- clubs, if you remember them. Yeah, love clubs, big fan of clubs. I think what else came under that category? Two-finger Twix, 
Penguins. Penguins, yes, that was an excellent one. Um, don't know if you have any other ones that you'd like to put in the mix. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, I was thinking of those. Um, I mean, they're all definitely borderline, aren't they, between biscuit and chocolate bar? Well, they, um, we agreed that like a Kit Kat Chunky is not a house biscuit, that's a chocolate bar. No, I agree with that, yeah, true. But um, for a staple house biscuit, I don't think you can go wrong with the two finger Kit Kat with a cup of tea. No, I'm, we've got a couple of packs of two finger Kit Kats in this house at the minute, and I'm having two. Two two finger Kit Kats every night because you know feel it feels like cheating to have one. Um, but I think I mean in terms of old fashioned biscuits, for me, it's custard cream or a bourbon, and it's it's a toss up between those depending on the day. Um, you know, like the dummy jammy dodger looking ones. Jammy dodger, yeah. They're a bit fancier than a jammy dodger. Um, that would come in some select biscuit tins, like uh, the select options that you'd get at Christmas. So they they look a bit more. I don't know how to describe it. They've like they're, they're obviously circular, but you've got a circular outside of the biscuit, and then there's a circle in the middle of jam, which is obviously sprinkled with sugar. I don't know if they have a difference. Yes, yeah, sounds that. sounds like a jammy dodger. Just a posh version though, not because I know oh, yeah, okay. jammy dodger is the brand itself. Oh, uh, is it? Uh, for... But it's like Frisbee and Hoover. They're yeah. always good ones. Yeah. Alright, I'm sorry, carry on with the intro. <laughs> so we got a little bit um, off piece there, didn't we? So, coming off the My Plans versus 2020 general topic, I think we were looking into how that feeds into general expectations versus reality and how that kind of moulds your general opinion of something or, or an experience, be it going to a restaurant, going to a sports game, uh, anything that you might plan, I suppose, in a social calendar that you might look forward to or not look forward to, and then how your opinion of that will differ once you actually go there. So between us, we had quite a few examples, didn't we? I don't know if you want to start with one that kind of depicts your ideas and I'd quite like to start with a quote that I found. Love a quote. So it's a quote from Alcoholics Anonymous. And the quote is, expectations are premeditated resentments. Friend told you this one, did they? <laughs> yeah, just in my meeting on Saturday. I just, uh, <laughs> I was like, get my notepad out quick. Again, I was too excited to get that comment in. <laughs> so it was, it's um, expectations are premeditated resentments. And I think that really hits the nail on the head. Um, and if we're talking about examples, it's like, I mean, New Year's Eve's a big one. Everyone bigs up how good New Year's Eve's going to be as a night out, and it tends to, tends to be a bit shit. So everyone's disappointed. Um, I think expectations really impact in... Well, like winning a lottery, when everyone buys a lottery ticket, they always for some reason think, oh no, I'm going to win this one, even though it's like one in 300 million chance of winning. On the lottery front, I always like how when there's a big rollover, you know, like especially Euro millions in, you know, in the UK, and suddenly the jackpot, if it's normally 20 million, goes up to 140. And obviously they're going to try and brand it like that to get sell more tickets. And people will buy more, you know, will buy tickets who otherwise wouldn't do so because the jackpot's so big and it's like, so 20 million is not enough for you, but 
but now it's suddenly <laughs> million. oh yeah you know what i'll buy a ticket when you, when you step back and look at it you think flipping it like how are you falling for that yeah. um, well, you gotta be in it to win it you do you, have to, you do have to be in it to win it um is that a bruce Forf- Forsyth phrase or or not am i getting confused oh that's not a bit i think it might be a copy in it to win it what's that what is that from oh, i don't know too bad. I think it's a bit before Google, our time. Google's literally about all thumb flicks away, but we'll leave. Come it. Into, I'll Google that. You uh I'll time fill sure. You give a couple of examples that you were thinking well, of. I think it's quite relevant at the moment because they've recently reopened and have stupendously long queues, which shows how sad a lot of us are in our habits with food, and that's McDonald's. Um so I've always well I think the concept with McDonald's, I think, for their unique selling point is that they consistently will produce the same standard of food. So you know what you're going to get. Hence, you're not going to get let down by the reality versus the expectations of what you expect to get. And I think that's why McDonald's does so well is they have that consistent level of, of performance. The food itself, when you look at it, we can all agree is not great. That's probably being kind. But for whatever reason we all seem to go back for more, don't we? Whether we're drunk see, or see, I'm, I disagree slightly in that I think fast food encapsulates the perfect example of your expectations versus reality, especially with the ad, advertisements that they put on TV and they've got, like McDonald's had this beautiful picture of a lovely hamburger with the bread looking really plump and loads of beautiful little dollops of sauce and ketchup and mustard with little sprinkles of onion and a beef that looks quite plump and like unctuous and then you get your burger out your bag when you've had a drive through and it looks like it's all soggy and like deformed so i think that i suppose that i suppose that leads into those different pockets or factions of your expectations so one is the visual side which they're obviously overplaying but then there's also the taste side the cost effectiveness and value and, and going off of how successful mcdonald's is you know think was it two countries in the world don't have mcdonald's that's north korea and cuba i think you have to conclude that those two must outweigh the visual overplay that you are that is very true but do you know why i think that is then i think that is because the expectations and reality aren't so much out of kilter and so when i personally go to mcdonald's Hmm. i mean i i enjoy mcdonald's but I'm not going to go out my way and queue for an hour to get one. But when I go, my expectations aren't like, oh, I'm going to have a really amazing meal. It's like, oh, I'm going to have pretty cheap feed that's going to be quite tasty. And I know it's not going to be very healthy, but I'm going to, it's going to taste nice and it'll be quick. So that's my expectation going in is pretty mediocre. And what I get, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't exceed it, but it doesn't, doesn't fall short so it's sort of about right and maybe that's why it's so successful because it meets its expectations that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to say is that mcdonald's does not have great quality food yet is so successful on a global scale and i think it shows it doesn't matter if the expectation is high or low if you meet it or slightly beat it then you have a very good model of success um i suppose the other factors are also like the time efficiency which probably goes out the window at the moment, but normally you're right. You go in, if you go through the drive-through, they're quick, aren't they? There's no messing around. Very rarely are you waiting. You get it in the brown, the brown bag. 
you can eat it. You could, the whole process can be done in 10 minutes, can't you? Then you carry on. Mm. So in that, you know, in our modern world where we want everything done so quickly, that is another big winning factor that McDonald's has over probably a lot of other fast food chains or restaurants in general. And then when you think, people always say, don't they, that having McDonald's on your CV is actually like a really good thing to have for employment because of their, their model of, and their chain and how efficient they are shows that you can work well within that team environment and how it all comes together. So I think there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of good concepts that McDonald's obviously have got right because they're, I mean, could you think of a better, more successful franchise in history than McDonald's? Well, I think it's, it's between McDonald's and Subway. I think Subway has actually got the most restaurants um, in the world. But, well, I don't know, it's a toss-up, in it, between those two? It's like, then again, Subway, the expectations, I'd say the expectations are slightly higher with Subway. Yeah. Um, yeah, good point. Because they, they build themselves as eating fresh and like all whole good foods, and it's actually just pumped full of sugar. So I'd argue that they don't quite meet their expectations like McDonald's. Conversely... I believe that Subway actually is technically the unhealthiest of all of them in large part due to all the sources that they have from the high calories in the sources. No way. I did not know that. Yeah. So they, obviously they will place a huge amount of advertising on the, the salad options, you know, and, you know, I suppose bread isn't great, but it's probably better than chips and burger. Yet actually the calories, you know, per meal, is higher because of all the sources that people bang in at the end. Well, to be fair, I do bang in quite a lot of barbecue on my yeah. Italian BMT. I'm an Italian BMT as well. <laughs> Subway is actually, this, we're going off of the big tangent here. Subway is probably one of the best examples of how like we like what we know and we know what we like. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You've got something different than an Italian BMT. Mate, I think I used to, I think the only time I ever go different is when I occasionally get a meatball mariana, but that's very rarely. There's a crossover there, isn't there? Yeah. What, what bread do you go for? So I just go for like for Italian bread because you know oh. what I'm like. <laughs> I just don't think it's. I mean, I mean we're going to delve too far into fast food here. Um, but it is also the expectations versus reality because on the food restaurant level, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you probably go to regularly. Um, and you're like, oh, do I get something different this time? Like, I, I normally get this, and I know I like it, but I feel like I want to try something mm. new. And most of the time, you're disappointed, even if the thing, even if the new thing that you've ordered is nice, but it's probably not quite met the expectation that your standard meal does. And so there is that psychology in there that I think restaurants and in, that industry has has to try and take a huge advantage of. I don't know how they go about it. Yeah, and I I don't even think, it's not even just um, resigned to the food industry. I think it's literally any industry you can think of. I mean, like, say, for example, TV and film. If someone bigs up some TV or a film to you for so long, then you're going to, and it wears you down, right, I'm going to watch this film. I think it's going to be amazing. I sit down, I'm ready to watch it, and you're sort of underwhelmed. Like, so I had this experience with The Mandalorian, the new Star Wars uh, series. Now, it's all right. It's pretty good. I'm a big Star Wars fan myself. Um, granted, I didn't watch it on the best stream, so maybe that affected it. But I, I had, like, 
10 people tell me before I watched it, look, it's so good, it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. Sat down to watch it, and because I expected it to be so good, I was underwhelmed, which is a sad, sad place to be in, which happens so frequently, I think, with everything. I um, that also links in very closely to, you know, when someone says you need to watch this, you need to watch this, what's the first thing that you think? I'm not going to watch it. It, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Brains in there, like, out of spite or something. <laughs> I'm not going to watch this. I don't want you to get gratification from telling me what I like. I know what I like. I think that's, that's a massive psychological factor that we play on so much in loads of decisions, be it at work. I suppose it links into, like, one of my favourite films, Inception, which I think has a huge underlying theme of how you can be successful be it at work or relationships where if you can try and get somebody to say the idea that you want them to think without you saying it yourself then there is such a greater chance of them accepting it you know be it to your boss at work or to your girlfriend about i don't know a holiday idea so i'd just like to cut in here and say you're basically talking about manipulating people (laughs) to doing what you want that's the world, right? That's if you're bathing at a shop or if you're going to a job interview, everything you could classify as manipulation. Couldn't you? If you, if you're going, if you like recently I had my, um, internet renewal and you know, it normally goes up in price, doesn't it? And then normally if you phone up and you, you have a bit of a chat and you play on things and say, look, I'm going to go somewhere else. If you don't give me a better offer. It's all perfectly normal things that we do in everyday life, but that is a form of manipulation, isn't it? And it actually leads me into, I had something written down here about general principle of bartering. And, you know, if you st- everybody always starts very high and very low and they think, oh, that's just a kind of a film, you know, um, concept that doesn't happen in real life. But there's a lot of psychology under that where if you start at such an extreme, it kind of sets a baseline that then the other person's mind will start to kind of change what their concept of acceptable is. And that's why it kind of works for you in, in your bartering concept. So, yeah. Yeah. That, I think that, have you read, I think, I think, did you recommend it be on a sort uh, thinking fast and slow? Have you read that? I don't think I have, but it's on my reading list. Whether I just came across um, it or, well, no, it's a good book. I mean, I think so. That sort of it goes into that um, a lot in that book, based like giving a baseline. So when people have to guess, I don't know how many sweets are in a jar or the price of something. If they guess after someone else, they tend to guess very similar to their sort of answer than if they guess just on their own. Um, it shows how I suppose. Yeah, you are right. It shows how we are influenced heavily by just by other people really it's like it's like mob mentality you want you there's, feel um there's a famous study that was done it was in i can't remember if it was relation to like law and they had a um a team of you know 12 on a jury and they were in this room and they were discussing something it was i think it was about what was written on on the wall and like the color of it or something like that they went around the room and obviously the 11 people knew that this was a study and they were basically actors and the 12 person was the subject and they repeated this set numbers of times with different people. And then, you know, it was clearly say written in red 
and they went around the room and every single person and they made sure that you know the um person they were actually doing this on was the last person to speak so everybody before said blue and then the 12th person most of the time also said blue i don't think that was the exact setup but it was something along those lines where you're right you're kind of making that mob peer mentality and that peer pressure i suppose and how it affects what you say which you can depict in so many areas of life can't you if you be it politics or when you're at school that's probably a big thing as well um or even in um the current protests the black lives matter protests is it like once um it all starts off peaceful and then people you feel comfortable in the group and then you obviously see instances where people incite violence and it, it sort of it was literally literally a mob mentality because then it becomes a mob and people feel more confident because other people are doing the same thing as them yeah um but i suppose it comes down to the fact that like evolutionarily and historically with with tribes people with tribesmen um so you feel more comfortable when you're supported by a group. We're not individual creatures. We're not individual animals. So when we've got that support of a group, then we feel confident and it sort of positively reinforces our own either belief system or, or actions. And I think it does tie in a bit with religion as well. Um, so like people pray like, all different religions across the world they all pray they all pray to make something happen and then once they they pray just because you're praying for something doesn't mean it's going to happen and so that can lead to sort of more unfulfilled expectations in that sort of sense um so i don't know what you think about that that's just um just one little thing on the faith on the faith tangent i believe I think in relation to like the mob mentality, I think just the feeling of being part of a group, you know, in general is very comforting and we all seek validation in one way or another from different people to kind of reinforce our self-efficacy. And I suppose if you're part of the faith, you're part of a group that believe in similar ideas. And so that probably gives you more confidence uh, and reinforces those beliefs as being right. So, you know, be it, you play in a sports team or you're part of a political union or, you know, Christianity, other faiths. If it's that, it's, I think it's that protective feeling in many senses that you're surrounded by people of, of similar thinking, which we all crave to greater or lesser degrees. Yeah. It's, it's like mass, mass scale confirmation bias as well. So like, Oh, I think this and this hundred other people here also think this, that must, that confirms my belief and then sort of hardens it and makes you more, um, more visceral in your beliefs just because other people are in line with you almost. Yeah. I think once you can admit that you're more comfortable with people that have, the same opinions or beliefs as you, then um, I'd like to think it means you can start to digress out and and feel more comfortable with people who don't have the same opinions as you, because that is just as normal, if not more common than finding people that are similar to you. I suppose as you get older, yeah. as you get older, I think 
you find it or you have more of a niche don't you if you know you know the people that you like and you get on with be it based on their way of thinking or their common interests but i think when you're younger you you have a wider type of friend maybe because you're just not as capable or you don't know yourself the type of people that you want to know maybe in 10 years later you look back and think christ the people i you know i, I hang out with at that point are so different to the type of people that i do now mm. you, you find that you work out a lot quicker whether you're going to get on with somebody well or not just because as you get older you kind of become more and more your own person actually probably more comfortable being your own person don't you which is probably molded by your experience yeah and i think there's two things slightly related to that back to like friendships is so when you make friends in your primary school and then you retain those friendships and then you diverge as adults and then you turn out to be very different people but you're still friends based on when you were children there's always those people who you're friends with it's like oh if i didn't know them when i was five i probably wouldn't be friends with them sort of thing but then equally when you're an adult and you're our age i mean we were saying the other day how it's quite hard to make new friends when you're an adult if you don't like unless you sort of move on your own to somewhere completely new and completely just throw yourself into whatever it's just hard to make good friends as an adult because maybe because of what you were just saying yeah i think for most people i reckon that you make your your strongest or or most likely to be lifelong friends around that university period, which must be a combination of factors, be it one, you know, you're older than you are at school, so you've learned a lot more about how you get on with people who you would and who you would less likely to become friends with. Obviously, it's quite a, an intense period of growing up and new experiences, and I think when you share strong experiences together, that forges friendships more so than many other factors. You know, if you share exciting experiences and then when you're traveling or more emotional experiences or you have that shared bond i think that creates something that lasts a lot longer than often i think your, your primary or secondary school friends i think that seems to be a trend that i see with people um or with other family members uh, that then kind of leads on into later life which is quite an interesting pattern yeah i, I, I kind of agree with that i think um it's just more intense, isn't it, over a short period of time. Um, but so one thing to get us back on track, there was a couple of things that I've written down that I kind of wanted to talk about. One thing I wanted to talk about was the law of attraction. Now, I don't know if you've heard much about the law of attraction. You wouldn't uh, but, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it basically... Um, it basically states that our thoughts attract events in our lives. So you sort of manifest the thought that no, you, you have the thought that you're going to be rich or you're going to have a Ferrari. And then just by having these thoughts and thinking about it every single day, that sort of manifests in your life. And it comes from a book called The Secret. Is this how Facebook that, works? Say again? Is this how Facebook adverts work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, that's definitely a scary scenario. Um, but basically, so I, I'm very, still am very skeptical about the secret and the law of attraction, 
And my friend um, who used to work with in Oz is a massive believer in it. So he was like, right, read The Secret and it's going to completely revolutionize your life. And then you're going to come back to me saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, blah, blah, blah. I think I read like a page of it and I was like, that's the biggest bullshit I've ever heard in my life. And just <laughs> put it down, never to pick it up again. But I think that the law of attraction, it really epitomizes the expectations versus reality because I, I think a lot of people are, they, they sort of think, oh my God, the law of attraction, I'm just going to think about, think about this coming to me, like think of all this money, riches, happiness, wealth, whatever coming to me. And then when it doesn't, you're just disappointed. You're like, oh, fuck you, that didn't work. That, that book's a load of bollocks. That, um, that way of, believe, of thinking is ridiculous. Rather than actually yeah, you're trying to achieve these things yourself. You're self-fulfillingly doomed to failure because the best you can do is meet your expectation with reality that still probably doesn't give you a huge amount of satisfaction. Apart from saying to people, I told you so. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously quite satisfying, but... Um, Agreed. But yeah, that, I mean, people who do, um, they do attribute themselves with the law of attraction and the secret, they do tend to say, I told you so. Like, if anything good happens, whatever, I remember, so, like, just coincidentally something would happen, you would be like, right, that's because I was prophesizing that in my mind, I was thinking about it, I was willing it to come to me, and then here it is, I told you so. It's kind of like the gambler that never tells you about his losses, only his wins. Exactly. Perfect example. I was just going to... I had a couple of other ones I was going to bring back in. More back along the line of the kind of advertising, salesmanship line, which I think is very clever uh, in terms of user experience and how you get people to come back again um, or to look on an experience better than maybe it overall was. First one I had down was the dentist, which is a classic example of how, especially children might, well actually if you think, I don't know if children probably look forward to the dentist more than adults do. And my example in particular is just that normally at the end of an appointment, when you're a child, what's your expectation? You get a lolly or a sweet. And because of that lolly or sweet coming at the end, your brain will always remember strongest what happened most recently in that you know kind of whole minute period of time so even though you've had the dentist appointment itself it's been quite painful or awkward you know i don't think anyone enjoys that part of the dentist itself but then you get your lolly at the end you go away happy so your overall you know um opinion of the dentist is probably nowhere near as bad as it otherwise would be so your tolerance of going back to the dentist is much higher which i think is very it's a very clever form of I suppose, advertising or, you know, salesmanship, which I quite like. And another one that I'd add in is if you have like in your job, if you have like a training day or you, you go away or you book yourself onto a course and it will say, I don't know, nine till five as the, as the hours. And then when it comes to the end of the day, the course manager might have deliberately set it up such that you're expected to finish about quarter past to half past four and so that such that you finish a little bit early as opposed to your 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 five o'clock time leaves you feeling a lot happier than you otherwise would have done 
and we all know how it feels when you get yeah. the afternoon of the course when it starts to drag. And to be fair, it probably links in perfectly to the efficiency and efficacy of the course anyway, because how much learning gets done in that last hour, four till five, I'd suggest very little. So just a couple of things where setting out an expectation, especially with that trained example, and then you have control over actually enhancing the reality could make quite a big difference to the feedback that you'd get and the user experience from the course, which I think is quite, you know, good ideas when it comes to the psychology of selling things, I suppose. So this is like, um, so I mean, the, on the first point of the lollipop and the dentist, this is again, um, what got into in detail in that thinking fast and slow Daniel Kahneman book. Um, it's also mentioned in that Homo Deus that we were talking about the other day, um, where they did this experiment. Um, it's called like oh, something like the, the mean prime rule or something like that, where your brain only remembers the the end point, the end point and the worst point. So like in terms of pain, so they did this experiment where they put people's hand in like freezing cold water and they did it for like 14 minutes in just really, really cold water. But then they, and they gave them like a, a pain rating out of seven or how, how much they wouldn't want to do it again out of 10 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the second round they did at their other hand, but they did it in the same cold water for longer for like 16 minutes or 17 minutes. But for then for the last minute, they increased the temperature of the water by a couple of degrees. And then every single person in the experiment rated that second one lower, even though the overall pain felt is more because yeah. they only could remember the coldest point and the end point, which is exactly the time in the dentist. You remember the, the really painful bit in the middle where he's cleaning your teeth and then the end bit where you get a lollipop. You don't remember the, the length of the experience and it's like hardwired into our brains to think like that. So that is uh, the dentist is pretty perfect example of that yeah, good um i think another then, oh, go on. So just on a, on a similar to what you said about the memory retention of an experience i think i, was, I can't remember what i think it was on on the news actually i think they're getting desperate aren't they but it was you know a sleep expert was on saying you know how you can keep up good sleep and it came onto the subtopic of dreaming and he was kind of saying you know to a greater or lesser degree we all dream every night but some people remember dreams better than others. And also, depending on at what time during the night you had your dream will affect how strong the memory is. So if you wake up and your dream is very vivid, the most the, the likelihood is that it's because you were having that dream very shortly before you woke up, as opposed to having it early on in your sleep pattern, which I suppose makes sense. I mean, that's a whole psychology topic that's fascinating in itself, but just that point you're making yeah. about your memory of an experience being from specific points as opposed to the duration of it is quite quite cool I suppose actually how that brain works well yeah because with dreams I think there's two the two times that you dream is the it's the REM phase isn't it which is at the before you go into your deep sleep cycle and then when you're waking up from your deep sleep cycle so when you're first dozing off and when you're just waking up so when you're like so then you're sort of as you're saying you can the dreams you remember are the ones that you're dreaming of as you're waking up as opposed to the ones when you're just not enough yeah. um but yeah sort of another what in relation to what you were saying about the 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 meeting example or the conference example and trying to make the end 
you know, nicer to these sort of go away positive. So from a personal perspective, so when I used to um, be a street fundraiser, as you know that I was, and you can take the piss at me for it, um, but it was great. But one of the, the things to sort of, again, it's like pop psychology, is to once you've got what you needed and you've actually signed them up and you've got their details and you've got the credit card number and you've got all the important stuff you need, don't just let them go. You need to then have a, a couple of minutes, just a nice chat, and make them laugh and make them feel good and confident again and trusting of you so that they're leaving with a positive experience in mind as opposed to, oh shit, I've just given away my credit card details to someone in the street. So it's the same principle that applies there as well. Um, and it and does so in so many experiences, like eating out in a restaurant, um, finishing on mints at the end and stuff like that. Yeah, the mints with the bill. Or the nice um, hot towel. Yeah. Like a, when you, especially like Indian restaurants, you seem to get, you know, the nice hot face towel at the end and it smells very nice. Um, yeah, that you know, that always adds to it, doesn't it? So anything that you're told is free, always, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? That I mean, that concept as well works with works with all humans in Western society very well. Yeah, if you get told it's free, even though it's obviously been built into the price elsewhere, doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's an psychological point uh, as well. well Definitely. Um, I think as well, if we get, if we, um, back in relation to expectations, I think another, obviously, apart from the points that we've already hit, I think another one where it is important and very prevalent is in relationships, whether that's with your friends or with a significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. I think it really plays into that a lot. Um, because obviously, like, that's the, Alcoholics Anonymous quote expectations are premeditated resentments. You expect your partner to act in a certain way and they don't, then you are disappointed with them. That leads to it becomes detrimental to the relationship. Um and you sort of each have your own take on the social construct, if you will, social contract of how the relationship's gonna go. And if that doesn't mesh and your expectations don't meet, then it's essentially doomed to fail. And I think it has a, that plays a massive part in why so many relationships do fail. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the gender stereotype that is obviously unfair is, you know, that a woman will try and change a man into or mould them into what they see as the ideal partner so they have an expectation be it subliminal or what they they kind of grow up believing and seeing on tv and everything and that's that's the benchmark and then obviously nobody is normally going to come close to it or not going to fit the exact shape of that and so the reality comes a bit lower and they'll try and change that person when obviously that's never really going to work going forward it has to be a reasonable fit accepting that Nobody is going to be perfect in every way to you. They might get close, but there'll always be some imperfections. I suppose that's a big, if you can understand that your, that your expectations need to be not low, but you have to be accepting that this person is always going to be different to you in many regards, then that will improve the reality. That, that's quite a good topic, actually.
Yes, then it's like when people um, have their idea of, you know, the dream guy or the dream girl, and and then and they also and they sort of end up being perpetually single because they're always looking for someone who's just yes. too good, and they can never quite fulfil their expectations and never be good. So you either end up in unfulfilled relationships that end up, I don't know, fizzling out or whatever, or you end up just being single for a prolonged period of time because you're expecting someone amazing to come along and they just, that's not, that's not how life works really. That's a, that's a minefield in itself. Let's, let's avoid that one anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, have you got any other thoughts or anything? No, I think I've crossed off most of the things on my little prompt sheet here. So um, unless you've got anything else pressing, I think we can wrap that up there. One little thing that I found quite, uh, just a funny thought. Um, it sort of relates to this. So when you, you've got to stretch it a little bit to push it into the whole expectations versus reality thing. But I think when you see parents who have children who don't quite meet their expectations of children. I'm thinking particularly in sport, it ends up having really pushy parents like screaming on the side of the football pitch or the tennis court. And everyone's seen, everyone knows what we're talking about there. Um, where you get these kids who are so disinterested in sport, but you get these parents that are the most forceful, angry, pushy parents ever. And that's probably because their kid could be because their kid doesn't meet what they expected of them. Yeah, I think that delves deeper into a, a flaw in a lot of people, which is you have to think, why do you want children? Is it so that you can nurture a child to be what they want to be and to achieve you know, the maximum that their potential allows? Or is it so that they fit the mould of what you want? So be it they'll play this sport or they'll play this instrument or they'll achieve this in their school grades. So is it actually for your own validation or is it because you generally want to be a parent for parents' sake? I think a lot of people fall into the wrong category there whereby they're doing it for selfish reasons. And obviously being a father or mother is, there's always an inherent selfishness in there in that you want to have children, you want to have a family when you grow up because that's, comforting and you know nice etc but you also i think have to understand that parenting is actually you've got to be as non-selfish as you can in that way instead of pushing things onto kids and we can all relate to that i'm sure well yeah and i think a lot of it's like obviously we don't know we've got no experience of this but just sort of when i'm thinking about it it could be that you know when you're as a parent or as an adult, you're sort of you're past your peak, you're past your best, and if you if you hadn't quite reached the potentials you'd set for yourself, you then start to live vicariously through your children and pushing them to do, you know, the next step on to become that professional, whatever, or to become really good, or to become top of their class and something because you weren't quite where you wanted to be, that you then get a second chance with your children, um, and then that obviously is very detrimental to both the child and the parent, probably. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for how you try and teach those kind of concepts in school. Like I think education, there's so much you could enhance in terms of how you teach 
the concepts of expectation, reality, that things can change for the good and worse. I think you could mold that into lots of current like school topics. You don't have to change the name of the class. Like for me, history, this might have been said in Homer days actually, like history is a hugely important topic at school so that children can understand that things can change for the better, for the worse, if you do something about it, that what is normal now might not be normal in 10 years or 20 years. So it gives you a perspective on things, be it good or bad, about the current world, different places, and that's how you can link in geography. I think as a British example, very topical at the moment with the Black Lives Matter movement is that I think we need to get a bit more of our head around our colonial history, which we don't teach in schools. And then hence we seem to have this blown up concept that you know we are morally a leader in the modern world when the whole wealth of our country is built off the back of slavery and you can go on and on and on like that and i think that's why education needs to be improved a lot and be a lot more dynamic in terms of its teaching and be a lot more open about our past and i think that links yeah. to expectations reality and our general outward view on the world i think we need to have a little bit more um, modesty and and just be a bit more because we, we love to tout how we won World War Two, but we don't go back much further than that, do we? <laughs> well, I I really have an issue with all that sort of stuff, um, and it it does breed a certain kind of person who very yeah, like very proud to be British because oh yeah, Winston Churchill won World War Two. Well, you didn't win World War Two, mate. You're a thirty year old joiner from. Cholton, what are you on about? You went in World War II. Oh, Francois, the um, MEP. Is he? Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's, he, I know who I mean. Yeah. He kind of attributed Brexit as the modern day World War Two and you know, breaking away from the Germans. And But we're also getting it with coronavirus as the new World War Two. Got that blitz spirit and we'll come through the war against our enemy, blah, blah, blah. It's all this rhetoric that's very that harks back to world war Two, and i get it in some ways it, that can be a positive if you're trying to breed a bit of adherence to the rules if nothing else but at the same time there's a lot of undertones there where i don't know if, yeah people are trying to big themselves up by using that rhetoric i don't know but yeah so i was going off a tangent there i thought before we finish as well we have a new website don't we <laughs> Oh yeah. www.metamemes.com which neither can't believe that wasn't taken. Neither can I. Uh, but we have to thank our associate member, we'll have to call her, Katie, for our manager. Our manager <laughs> for organizing that. So it has it's all set up. It has a link to the podcast and the iTunes page, I believe. So yeah. Are we on Spotify yet? Do we make the leap to Spotify? It didn't go through. I don't know why. I applied. Um, and I think it said it got rejected. So I'll have to look into that again. Mm, um, strange. Yeah, probably still Spotify users. But um, it's on Podbean, if you know what Podbean is, guys. It's, <laughs> it's a standard platform. And it's because I'm using it because currently it's free. And it gives you about five hours worth of... Um, upload space so we're probably going to have another three or four episodes and then we'll be done 
Show up at sweet. You know what's the worst thing is when a, a TV series or something Afterlife. just prolongs itself for no reason. Afterlife. Sorry? Afterlife, perfect example, yeah. So people yeah. Um, sweet. Kind of like the office only ever had two series. Two series. But it's like literally every American series goes on for just yeah. one little bit too long. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna be a short flash in the pan. Faulty Towers is another one. I think there's only ever about 12 episodes of that. But they're all classic. And that they're the ones that you think of, I think. They're yeah. ruined by uh, follow-ups. But there you go. Let's call it a day there. There you go. I mean, that was quite a good episode. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. It was good. Thank you. Uh...